Welcome to Life Undissertated with the Millennial Black Professor. I'm your host, Dr. Latasha N. Ely Kelly, yours truly for making it make sense by making it plain. Please be advised, content warnings for this episode are listed in the show notes. Hey everyone, to close out Black History Month, today I'm taking us back to the 2020 Olympics, which, if you recall, actually occurred in 2021. The Games, held in Tokyo, had been mired with challenges and controversy from the start, though there were some sweet spots. Jamaica sweeping the women's 100 meters in track, Team USA's Raven Saunders winning silver in women's shot put, and Suni Lee becoming the first Hmong American to compete and medal in the Olympics with her gymnastics individual all-around gold. And my personal fave, Simone Biles choosing herself, prioritizing her mental health, physical safety, and overall well-being. One of the things that stood out most to me about the initial and ongoing backlash Simone received was not the ignorance of statements that she was a quitter, non-patriotic, and let down her team, not the dismissal of mental health concerns as less significant than physical injury, nor the total lack of regard for her physical safety, even after numerous gymnasts and other experts spoke out in support, explaining the alarming danger a gymnast is in when continuing to compete with what is known as the twisties. Those didn't shock me because, as Instagram user Gabby Thickums posted, they want Black women humbled, even if it's by death. On the contrary, I was most affected by the failure to acknowledge that, out of the multitude of things that could be impacting her mental state, Simone has been expected to operate and perform at 100% in the midst of a system within which she was sexually abused. One of the many gymnasts assaulted by pedophile and convicted sex offender Larry Nasser, Simone has stated that a contributing factor in her decision to not yet retire from the sport was out of valid concern that, with no remaining active elite USA Gymnastics members impacted by the decades of sexual offenses, the women's traumatic experiences would be swept under the rug. Simone has achieved well beyond what most gymnasts do throughout their competitive career, and even if she hadn't, could have retired whenever she felt good and ready. Despite being offered a $215 million settlement from USA Gymnastics to be split by Nasser victims who filed a civil suit against the gym, Simone didn't want what she referred to as dirty money. She was seeking real accountability. Simone trained daily within an organization that abandoned her and subsequently attempted to essentially buy off victims. Learning the Tokyo Games would be delayed a year was re-traumatizing with the realization that she would have to continue performing and producing for an unjust system that was not reciprocating. She experienced this not only in the mishandling of the Nasser case, but in the unfair scoring of her outstanding athletic feats by the International Gymnastics Federation. How many of us can relate to being told we must overachieve to make it, only to have those efforts overlooked and minimized when it is our contributions that are keeping a company afloat, earning the most revenue, bringing in the most clients, consistently contributing to positive trends in individual and organizational performance metrics. At a diversity summit I attended, one panelist spoke to the loss of discretionary energy companies may face when employees of color continue to experience unchecked microaggressions and gaslighting in the workplace. 
My ears perked because, while I'd never heard it referred to in this manner, it's a real phenomenon that friends, colleagues, and I live and discuss often. Heathfield defines discretionary energy as the effort exerted by an employee that goes beyond that which is a basic requirement of the job. Gymnastics competitions are Simone's workplace. The Olympics was Simone's workplace. In the words of Representative Maxine Waters, Simone reclaimed her time by withholding her discretionary energy and saying no, period. And y'all know I'm here for it. Throughout the course of the pandemic, many of us reveled in the absence of completely unrelatable small talk with white coworkers and the forced phony laughter we muster to avoid being labeled antisocial, angry, or a non-team player. We've leveraged the additional time and flexibility remote work affords to engage in new and increased acts of self-care, begin pursuing that idea we've had for years but haven't had the time or energy to go after, and, best of all, rest. The result has been a collective realization that, in many ways, they need us more than we need them, and we are going to proceed accordingly. From individual employees renegotiating contracts to incorporate permanent expansion of telework and remote options, and labor unions fighting for the same, to smaller acts of resistance such as scheduling therapy appointments during the work week and entering it on one's office calendar as a standing appointment. Black people are tired and in lieu of a government that acknowledges and acts upon the need for reparations, are claiming our own. Simone isn't the first black person in the public eye to reach this point. In interviews after announcing her initial withdrawal from the remaining team events and subsequent withdrawal from individual events, Simone cited the actions of tennis star Naomi Osaka as an influence on her decision. In May 2021, Naomi announced she would not participate in required press activities during the French Open, citing mental health concerns, and ultimately withdrew from the tournament. Naomi, too, faced backlash. Historically, Black women have not been afforded the same compassion and empathy as or by white men and women, and even Black men. The long-held and perpetuated strong Black woman stereotype and trope allows for the widespread industrialization of Black women. In a 2019 article on Black women's labor market history, Banks stated that negative representations of Black womanhood have reinforced discriminatory practices that disadvantage Black women relative to white women and men, one example being states' omission of established labor protections benefiting Black women by failing to require said policies in sectors within which Black women historically would or could secure employment. I'm no history buff, nor an expert in economics. However, my background is interdisciplinary, making it hard for me to ignore the intersectional nature of both Naomi and Simone's stories. And Shakiri's. I mentioned her plight in conjunction with that of Naomi and Simone and was shut down by a family member who insisted the situations were not the same that Shakari brought her situation on herself and must reap the consequences. Keenly aware of an impending rabbit hole, I chose to preserve my peace and not debate this individual, but not before calling out the institutionalized systemic barriers experienced by all three women as a result of their multiple overlapping identities, including race, class, and gender. I'm proud of Shakari, Simone, and Naomi. I rooted for them even when their actions did not align with what society said they should be, because who is society to dictate how one should grieve, protect one's mental health, or govern one's own body? They are half my age, but I see myself in them, figuring it out and doing the best we can to do right by ourselves as we go.
I was inspired then and now to keep saying no without explanation, choosing me without guilt, and advocating for myself when no one else will. I hope you are too. If you enjoyed today's episode and want more, be sure to like, rate, and subscribe. Whatever you do on the platform you're using to make sure our voices stay on their necks and continue to be heard for the culture. You can also check out everything the MVP is up to on IG at the Millennial Black Professor and at the millennialblackprofessor.com. Till next time.